Good morning, coming at you once again from the cellular telephone, the mobile phone, as Tupac called it in 1996. They get jealous when they see you with your mobile phone. Um, the sound on here is as good as it's going to be. I had an interesting situation recently. Uh, soon I'm going to be on Stromy's podcast, Food About Town, which I've appeared on a couple of times. He's been on this a couple of times. He's one of my favorite people in the whole entire world. All right, that's being dramatic. In Rochester? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love him. But um, it was funny because he is a, a non-ex-radio guy, right? He's an engineer by trade. Never worked in radio, but loves radio. And so he has worked the last five or ten years building himself a radio-like studio to do his podcast called Food About Town. Great local podcast uh, if you love the food scene in Rochester. Whereas I, on the other hand, with the uh, history in radio, have worked the last five years or so to denigrate all radio studio things and just get this pared down to where I'm just talking into a cell phone. So, <laughs> I I, I guess that's that. So anyway, good morning. It is Sunday. It is shortly after 6 a.m. I am on my way to work right now uh, because as I'll talk about a little bit, I don't want to bore you with stuff, but uh, I will talk a little bit about our food safety audit this week. And I will reveal to you, I will reveal to you the items where my factory was found to be non-conforming. That's right. What other business owners are going to tell you that, huh? I'm going to tell it to you, but but first. Um, but, I, you know, basically I had a, an audit this week. I, I got way behind on work because for about two days I was distracted for 90% of those days and just didn't get a chance to do a lot. And so um, I would go in in the morning, get a couple hours of work in before he, he got there, but that was mostly paperwork just to keep us kind of caught up internally but I have a lot of external work to do, meaning just communication with clients and vendors and things. And so, yes, need a couple of hours to concentrate this morning. So I'm on my way to work. Woke up this morning, started to read through my newspaper, which is what I call my social media. It basically is the newspaper. It's We have curated our newspapers is what's going on. We've taken everything we want from legitimate news sources right down to our friends and neighbors. And we have decided who we want to follow and who we want news from. And at any given time, I press a button. And I'm in my social media, and I'm reading an up-to-date newspaper that is curated right down to what my neighbor had for dinner last night. But I'm reading that the Bills had a preseason game last night, and that there is panic set in amongst Bills fans. This was at least three posts. At least three, because sometimes, especially us ex-media folk, have a tendency to see something once and say, everybody's talking about it. But no, this was like several. And, uh, and, of course, I did not watch a wink of this game because it's preseason. But uh, the overreaction to preseason, do I really need to talk about this, you guys? What are we doing? It's preseason. And also, for Bills fans, I, and I'll, I'll make this very quick, I want to calm you down with one very important anecdote about early season versus late season. Last year, the Bills couldn't have been hotter early in the season. They couldn't have been hotter. Remember earlier, remember early regular season last year, the Bills looked unstoppable? What happened? They fizzled towards the end of the season. And then you look at a team like the Cincinnati Bengals, who just got red hot at the end of the season. You don't want to be hot at the end of the preseason. You want to be hot at the end of the regular season. See what I'm saying? All right. Um, before we get into some work stuff, <coughs> I wanted to tell you I made a, a hell of a dinner last night. 
and it's so simple. And I have a, a picnic today, actually, that I'm cooking for. My wife has invited a couple of her friends over, and the menu's very simple for that as well. I just want to review my menus with you. So last night, very, very simple. Um, I was on my own for dinner, meaning that my wife and my son were having, uh, my, my wife, what was it? Oh, my wife wanted sushi. I wasn't in the mood for sushi. So I said, just give me a pork chop. And I used everything else I had in house. I made a, what I call Grandpa Pete salad, right? So my grandfather's the guy uh, who I based the pasta sauce off of. But my grandpa, I ate over at his house all the time, and he made more than just sauce. And one of the things he, he made that was just this combination of flavors that I loved, it's so simple, it was just a salad. But here's his trick on a salad is he would take whatever lettuce he had, and I'm pretty sure he grew romaine, but whatever he had, and he would um, cut up a tomato, and, and he would cut up an onion, and, and it was really simple, and he would put garlic, fresh garlic, but like big chunks of garlic. And granted, you have to love garlic to like this. But then, uh, for his dressing, no, not Italian dressing, not oil and vinegar, he would use a little bit of what he called cheap oil, so a little bit of like clear oil, but you know, vegetable canola oil, and then a little bit of good oil, which would be like, you know, the deep yellow, first cold pressed extra virgin olive oil, and then salt and pepper. And mix the hell out of that. But the thing is, the oil, I know I just said a little bit of oil, a little bit of oil, but it was kind of heavy. The By the time you got both oils in there, it was kind of a heavy oil. So it was really was like oil, salt, and pepper on these f- giant leaves of lettuce with just giant chunks of like fresh onion and fresh garlic. And again, I get that that is, is niche and not everyone's going to like that because those are harsh flavors for some people, onion and garlic. But for me, please, man, oh, man. So I had myself a Grandpa Pete salad, and I might as well have been my grandfather last night, because I take a, a nice portion of that salad, I put it on my plate, and then when I'm done, I just start digging right out of the bowl, the big bowl, right? Because I'm the only one eating anyway. Then I did a pork chop a poivre, a poivre, which is a very fancy way of saying salt, pepper, garlic. But it's just such a simple way to make something taste like you did more to it than you actually did. Get yourself a good pepper. Half-cracked black pepper would be great. If you want to do fresh-grated pepper, sure. But don't do the pepper dust or whatever. You want chunks of pepper. You want this to actually be things you're going to bite into. So uh, the perfect would be like butcher-style or restaurant-style black pepper, or you can go all the way up to half-cracked. You don't need whole black peppercorns. That would be over overkill. But something like a butcher-style, a restaurant-style, or half-cracked black pepper. Then you put so much of it on your pork chop that it seems like you couldn't possibly need this much, right? You're going to actually coat it. You are essentially creating a breading of black pepper all over your pork chop. By the way, this works great for steak too. Then you're going to go very heavy. And again, you're going to think there's no way he intends for me to use this much. But you're going to take garlic and salt, granulated garlic and salt, or just get garlic salt. And you're going to dump that all over the pork chop as well. Press it in there real nice, create a nice breading, and simply go either to the grill or just on a pan in in maybe tiny bit of butter, tiny bit of butter, uh, and just get that sear on each side and get that to stick to the pork chop, right? Then after you've done that sear, bring the heat down a little, maybe even stick it in the oven and just get that internal temperature up to 145. Don't go past 145. See if you can land right at 145 because that's when that pork chop's going to be nice and juicy and you are going to have yourself pork chop a poivre. 
Now, today's menu is much simpler. Today's menu is, um, my wife, so I knew I had to go to work. I knew I'd be here for a half a day or so. Uh, gotta get home. Picnic starts at 3. I'm gonna be home at noon. So it's gotta be simple. So we're gonna do skewers, steak and chicken skewers, which is very simple. You're just dicing things up, marinating them, putting them on a skewer, then putting them on a grill. Very simple. Right? Part two is gonna be, uh, I'm gonna do uh, what we used to call summer sauce. This is the time of year for it. So I'm gonna go right to the garden and I'm gonna get uh, tomato, basil, parsley. I've got my fresh garlic from my garden as well. And I'm just going to make a really simple sauce where I'm going to take uh, a ton of, uh, of, of extra virgin olive oil. I'm going to kind of let it sit in the pot, basically uh, what you would call confit, right? It's going to sit there and cook in low heat oil for a long time, the garlic, so it gets nice and soft. And then after that, I'm going to roar my, my uh, oil a little bit more. Now it's like oil, or now it's garlic infused oil, so it's like got a nice flavor to it. But now I'm going to get it hot, and now I'm going to sear that soft garlic. Then I'm going to really quick, I'm going to stick my uh, tomatoes in, and I'm going to crush those up, just kind of beat those up with my spatula or a wooden spoon, um, and then a heaping handful of basil, heaping handful of parsley, decent-sized handful of salt, right over fresh pasta, which for me, I use uh, uh, a three-egg, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, three-egg, two-and-a-half cups of flour, a tablespoon of olive oil, tablespoon of salt, and uh, my trick there is the flour. I use about half or three parts double zero flour, which is like pizza flour, and one part or, or half semolina flour, which is pasta flour, which will give it some durability. So it'll be, it'll be kind of soft and durable. So that's what I'm going for. That's it. That's it. That's it, folks. All right. Uh, let me get to my agenda this here podcast. I had some stuff to talk to you about. Uh, let me see here. Excuse me. Thank you. Thank you. What did I talk about? Oh, I did see. I, I don't know why I put this in my notes, but just a story that I, I feel I owe the second half of this story to you guys, because I've told you the first half of it a thousand times. And it's a quick one, little anecdote, but as I was perusing my newspaper this morning, I saw that Amanda Merlene, or as she was known when I knew her, Amanda Bowers, turned 40 yesterday, 40 years old. Which is great. Amanda is the girl who I've joked about many times in my years in radio and on the podcast as having said no to me two years in a row for homecoming when I was in ninth and tenth grade. Here's why I bring it up: because the kid she ended up going with in tenth grade's name was Ryan Merlene, and now her name is Amanda Merlene. They ended up getting married, high school sweethearts. And I guess you can't be mad about that, right? All right. Okay, some work stuff. Um, let's talk about this audit real quick. Sexiest talk in the world, right? Let's talk audit to you guys. But no, we had our, our annual food safety audit this year, or this week. I'm sorry, it's called SQF. It was a surprise audit, which meant that we didn't know when it was happening. Although by the time it happened, we knew when it was happening because it literally happened on the last day of the audit window. Our window was June 19th through August 18th, and uh, this gentleman, our auditor, showed up on August 17th, although, turns out, he was supposed to show up on Monday, July 10th, but because of my COVID, he canceled that. I reported to the audit uh, company, basically, that I had uh, COVID, and I knew that something was up, because there was a lot of hoopla around, like, them 
being concerned about my COVID, right? They were like, well, it's a small facility and a small team. And it occurred to me that if he hadn't planned to come at that time, they wouldn't have cared that I had COVID, right? They would have just been like, oh, okay, cool. Well, we'll see you soon, you know, feel better. So anyway, I kind of got tipped off that he was coming around that time anyway. And of course, canceled because of my COVID. So he shows up Thursday morning. Um, scared me a little because he showed up late. In the past years, he had never shown up late. But this year, he showed up about 9.15. And he's supposed to show up anytime between 9 and 9.30. And uh, But in past years, like I said, always 9, literally 9 o'clock, like on the dot, two years in a row. So when it got to be 9.05 and 9.10 and it's not even 9.15, because I'm pretty sure he showed up at 9.17. And I, I, I'm sitting there looking going what are what does this what do we do our auditor literally didn't show up within the window because it's a two-day audit and if he didn't show up on thursday he couldn't i guess he could show up on friday but it's it's two days he only would have one day to do two days although that would be great so we go through the audit and if you've never been through an audit or like a food safety audit, this is not the same thing as like an irs audit or something but if you've ever been through anything like this you know they're just they're they're asking basically for two things They've got like 200, or I think he said he has like 600 lines of code, but I think only about, to, in, for our purposes, it basically condenses down to 200 different bullet points. And within the bullet points, there's there's these 200 things that they're like, if you are a, a, a food manufacturing facility and you are operating uh, for safe quality food, then you will be doing these 200 things. And so he'll call the things up and you have to show them that you've written a program for it, which always used to intimidate me years ago when it would be like, do you have a program for that? And I was always like, I don't know what that means. A program, what do you mean? A program just means, have you sat down and created a Word document that says, here's how we receive product. First, truck pulls up at our dock. Second, receiving employee checks the truck and takes down the trailer number. Third, receiving employee makes first contact with truck driver to discuss what is on this load and review paperwork, right? You just kind of go through that. That's it. You're just writing a literal SOP, standard operating procedure. So the auditor will just ask for two days straight, show me your program on this. Now show me your evidence that you're following your program on this, right? That's it. That's all it is. Then at one point he'll do a walk around. Oh boy, the walk around, right? This is when he's going to go and put eyes on your process. He wants to see you making sauce. This dude walked our entire facility, went through 200 programs, and ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, children of all ages, I'm here to tell you, Craft Cannery scored a 98 out of 100 on this audit. A 98, that is a quote-unquote excellent rating. A 98 out of 100. Okay, what were the two? I'll tell you what they were, because we lost two points. So basically, if you lose a, if something minor happens, you lose one point. If something major happens, you lose five points. And if something critical happens, you lose 50 points. In other words, you immediately fail. You need a 70 to pass. An example of a minor is that, well, actually, I'm going to give you examples of minors because that's what we got. So just a second, we'll get to that. An example of a major would be like completely missing a program. Let's say he says, let me see your receiving program. And you just say, we don't have one. No, we've never written one. We just take whatever comes to our door, right? That would be a major. That would be 
like five points off. A critical would be if he witnessed something happen to the product, right? I told you he walks, he wants eyes on the sauce being made. If he witnesses one of your employees spit in a kettle, you know, something egregious. The roof starts leaking, water's going into the kettle. An employee does something that is absolutely you know, uh, just just offensive and uh, a fireable offense on the spot, right? That kind of stuff. Uh, a rodent, right? A mouse, a rat, something like that. That would be a critical. That would get you shut down on the spot. You fail your audit. The major, I already explained. Now, the minor is the nitpicky stuff. So let's go into the minor. You ready? Here we go. Minor number one. The seal between our cooler wall and cooler floor isn't in perfect shape. It's not even in terrible shape, to tell you the truth, but he wants to see it resealed. In a few places, you can see where the seal is starting to wear off a bit. He'd like to see us go in and reseal that. Okay. That's one. That's a minor. Two, minor, our metal detector, which for us acts as a magnet in our hose line, which means any sauce going from the kettle to the jar is passing through a magnet, and if there were to be metal in it, that magnet is going to suck up that mag that metal, and the metal will be you know out of the out of the product, right? He said, "What is the Gauss rating on your magnet?" I looked at him and I said, "God bless you." He said, "The Gauss rating," and I said, "What it is a Gauss rating?" I didn't even have any idea what he was talking about. He says, "You uh, you have a federal regulation, and this part I knew, right? The federal regulation is." that your magnet needs to be able to pick up a, a piece of metal that is at uh, no larger than seven millimeters? No, no smaller. Wait, what is it? No, seven millimeters. That's what it is. It's a piece of metal seven millimeters or larger. Your magnet has to be able to pick up, okay? Um, and the there, there is a minimum Gauss rating or strength of the magnet that will do that. So you have to designate and you have to say a Gauss rating of blank is required in order for my metal detector to pick up the pieces of metal that I required to pick up and I last tested its strength on X date and that date has to be within the last year. That's what we lost a point on was I didn't know that. I didn't have any of that. Uh, Wait a second. Let me make sure I didn't just accidentally stop recording because I just accidentally hit a button. Okay, no, I think we're good. Anyway, I didn't know that. I just was like, okay, we have a magnet. It's working. We had challenged it, right? We had done a test. We showed that a piece of metal gets picked up by the magnet. So we had evidence that it works. We just didn't have an exact strength rating on the magnet, and we hadn't challenged that strength rating, um, you know, specifically. We just challenged, period. Work. We, basically, we gave it a pass-fail, and the auditor says it has to have something more specific than pass-fail. That's it. Those are my two. That's it. That's all we got. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Not bad. Also, by the way, this week, this was my week of audits. I also had my kosher audit this week because we run some kosher products at our plant. So the rabbi came in on Tuesday. This audit was a one-hour audit. The other audit, the food safety audit, two days, 16 hours. The kosher audit, one hour. (laughs) It's not bad. Not bad. Granted, we don't do a ton of kosher products, so maybe it's longer for plants that do more kosher. But uh, one hour uh, for the kosher eyes. It was a very, very, very official week, ladies and gentlemen. And the plant is uh, in the best shape it's ever been in right now. Um, 
Let's talk a little bit about marketing opportunities. There's two that, that happened this week that I'm excited about, and then one that I missed this week that I'm pissed that I missed. Uh, I'll do that one real quick. I saw Jason from Black Button post that, that Black Button was listed in the top 5,000 um, uh, growing fastest-growing companies in America. And, you know, the first thing that happens when I see that is, I, well, first of all, of course, I think good for Jason, good for Black Button, that's great. But the second thing I think of is I go, how do they know? Right? You're a private company. Like, you know, how do they know if what your financials are? You don't have to tell anybody. You're a private company. Right? Then it occurred to me, oh, this is one of those things where you submit for it. This is basically marketing. You, you file an application to them and say, I would like to be considered as one of the fastest growing companies. So I read into it, and of course, that is what it is. But then I looked at the qualifications, and it was a money thing. And it said something like, you had to be making at least $200,000 in 2019 and at least $2 million in 2022. And I'm looking at that and I'm going like, shit, we would have, we would have done good in this. You know, we would have, this would have been, damn, this was our jam. And I missed it. I missed the marketing opportunity. However, however, see, I didn't even know it existed, but however, we gained, we did get two marketing opportunities this week that I am kind of excited about, both of them with the same publication, ironically. The uh, Rochester Business Journal, RBJ, <coughs> excuse me, the RBJ actually called me twice this week for comment on stories. One was, um, sorry, I just pulled into the parking lot at work. I'm going to finish this in the car real quick. One was, the first one was, um, in regards to sustainability and what is my plant doing for sustainability? And I told the story about the Intergrow tomatoes that I think I've told on this podcast probably several times, just in case you haven't caught it. It's that we rescue anywhere between like three and 7,000 pounds of tomatoes a week uh, from Intergrow, turn them into crushed tomatoes, sell them to Headwater Food Hub. Um, interesting right now. We we're taking like a three or four week hiatus from that. And then in early September, we're actually bringing in some field grown tomatoes to do the same thing with because, you know, tis the season for field grown tomatoes. So I'm excited to do that. Uh, on the, on the exciting side, field grown tomatoes, in my opinion, are better than hydroponic tomatoes. They just are. But the other side, the scary side is the hydroponic tomatoes, right? They come in nice and clean and, and they're, they're easy to work with. Whereas field grown tomatoes, I worry could come in filthy, although we've already had those conversations. We've already had those conversations about uh, the farms can't send us filthy tomatoes, so we'll see. The other RBJ story was an interesting one, because it was a, a, a reporter calling to ask me, hey, we're doing a story about the demand for plant-based foods, and we wanted to talk to some food manufacturing companies about what demand you're seeing for plant-based foods. And this is one of those things that's this is difficult to talk about because there is a ton of hype for whole food, plant-based or plant-based alternative or vegan, all of that. There's a ton of hype for it, but at the end of the day, it accounts for such a small percentage of the overall food sold in America. And I see that in my own business. There's just not, there's just not a giant demand from the masses for that stuff. There's just a very vocal minority. And here's the problem with it, is that the whole food plant-based people, the vegans, they are right. They're right. They are correct. It is by far the healthier way to eat. It, is, it makes for a more sustainable human body, a more sustainable earth, 
the planet, right? It is the right thing to be whole food plant-based. But we as a people, myself fully included, uh, we are ignorant. We're not doing it. We're not eating that way. I'll tell you something. I don't know if I ever talked about this because I don't want it to make me look terribly bad. But at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you the story because it's um, it's true. And it is what it is. Last year before Grow New York, I was talking to somebody. I was sitting right in the seat I'm sitting in right now. I was on the phone with somebody and I was in my driver's seat in my car. And I said to them, I don't think we stand a good chance at Grow New York. And I'll tell you why. Most of the companies are touting something that is whole food plant-based or the plant-based alternative too, right? And we're, we've got nothing like that. We've got no health claim whatsoever. We're just a plant pumping out product. And that guy said to me, and he's a local business owner who said this to me. He's a guy you have heard of. I promise you've heard of him. Restaurant owner in town, right? He said to me, he goes, did you know in 1980, or maybe he said 90, I don't know, said the amount, the, the number of the population that identified as vegan was 2%. And he goes, do you know what it is today? And I said, what? And he goes, 3%. He said, the marketing, the awareness, the hype, that's grown a million fold. But the actual demand, not so much. And then he, you know, starts explaining to me and he's going, you know, these meat, ba- these, these plant-based meats, I don't get it because, um, you know, if I am a meat eater, then then why would I settle for the plant-based meats, right? And if I'm a vegan, then I'm not interested in meat because that's why, because I'm vegan, right? So what what is the market like for these plant-based meats? I think we've seen that. We've seen those companies. There was kind of a, a surge there for plant-based meat companies, and, and we've I think we have seen layoffs and downsizing and stuff in that industry. So anyway... The woman from the RBJ calls me and says, tell me about the demand. And I was pretty honest with her where I said, we see some, but we don't see a ton uh, of all the leads and phone calls that I take on a weekly basis. I probably take anywhere between one to three, maybe one, two or four, I guess we'll say by the month. But let's say I take 10 leads a month, right? Let's say I get 10 leads a month. The amount that are looking for something that has specific health claims <clears throat> It's probably one or two out of ten. <clears throat> and when you want to get specific to this product has to be whole food plant-based. Is it is it zero or one out of ten? So I was pretty honest with her. And I don't think she loved it. I mean I was very kind it was very it was a very kind, gentle, professional interview. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't like you know, I wasn't mean to her or anything, and I didn't say, nah, you guys don't get it, it's not, no, no, I was just telling her, I'm going, yeah, we don't, you know, we don't quite see the demand that you think we would see based on what you see in marketing, and, um, so we'll see, I don't know if she's going to use any of my stuff, she might not even use my comments, or, or it'll be like one sentence, and it'll be like, meanwhile, out in Bergen, there's this undereducated manufacturer, <laughs> All right. Well, I, I made it to work. I think I should probably go in. What did I miss on my list? Oh, I did want to talk a little bit about Seabreeze. The Seabreeze season passport has proven to be a very solid investment as we went twice this week. On Wednesday afternoon, I took a half a vacation day and took the family to Seabreeze. We had a really fun time. And then actually yesterday, Saturday afternoon, my wife was at Redbird Market. 
my son and I had a few errands to run. It was like 11 a.m. We're kind of figuring out what do you want to do for the rest of the day. And the great thing about the Seabreeze Passport or the season ticket is it's like when you go to Seabreeze, you don't have to you don't have to make it a whole day. You know, it used to be you go to Seabreeze and it's like, well, we're going to get there right at 11 and we're going to we're going to make sure we squeeze this lemon for every drop of juice we can get out of it. You really don't have to do that when you've got the, the passport and you live as close as we do. You can just go for two, three hours. You don't feel like you're wasting a trip anymore. So he just said he wanted to do the Lazy River. And so I said, okay. So we went to Seabreeze. We literally did the the bobsleds. We did the bear, bear tracks, which is the little kid roller coaster. And then he just, we went on the Lazy River for like an hour and a half. And he, and he was just thrilled. Just thrilled to do that. We did three total rides the whole time we were there. Granted, one of them lasted an hour and a half. But, like, that was it. And then he, and then he goes, I want to go home. And, and I'm going, yeah, great. That makes sense. You don't feel the pressure to, like, make a whole day out of it, you know? <clears throat> oh, and we ate lunch. Seabreeze Pizza. Not half bad, by the way. Not half bad. Okay. All right. Thank you. I love you. Thank you for listening. And uh, you want to talk next week? Let's do it. Let's talk next week. Oh, I'm out of town for a wedding next week, actually. Going to the Thousand Islands next week for the wedding of Heather Knowles. And I wish I knew her husband's name, but he's not from around here. But Heather is one of my wife's longtime best friends. So I'm actually leaving Thursday morning. This is a Friday night wedding, which I cannot complain about because I know somebody else had had a Friday night wedding. Uh, me. So... Now I'm realizing, though, that I may have had some people who didn't love that, especially when you have to be there for the rehearsal dinner, because now the rehearsal's on a Thursday. Again, I have no room to complain. This is exactly how I did my wedding, so it's called karma, baby. Anyway, yeah, I have to leave Thursday morning, going to the Thousand Islands, staying in a hotel. Uh, and then Friday, I'm kind of excited because, you know, my wife's a bridesmaid, so she's got to be gone all day. I just get Friday basically all day in the Thousand Islands myself, and I've never been, so I'm going to do some exploring. Uh, probably do a podcast too, right? That's next time I'll talk to you. Thanks for listening.